0: Yes, You guys can be seated. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. Uh, This morning, we'd like to continue to focus on uh, this year. We've kind of made it a a goal to talk about orphan care. So this year, we've invited a special speaker up from Baciniva, Mexico to speak to us this morning. Give us a little bit more of an international uh, perspective on orphan care. But before we do that, I want to thank everyone for participating in the pajama drive. I've seen quite a few of those stickers taken. And we understand that's kind of like sprinkling pixie dust on a, on a very difficult issue. But it is so cool that kids, the first time they come to DSHS, there's a gift there, brand new pajamas to say they're loved and they're cared for. So I had a meeting with Rosie the other day. She's the head of our foster and adopt ministry. And Rosie really encouraged me. Um, she was talking about something that I know, we know, the church is, is, is uniquely gifted and capable of leaning into difficult places. And some of the issues that foster kids um, face, and that we're going to hear from Jason in a little bit, they're difficult areas. So I was super encouraged by that. That's the challenge to the church. So our guest speaker this morning is Jason Sanchez. Jason is the founder of ben, uh, Casa de Bendición, the House of Blessing in Bachiniva, Mexico. Jason was on staff at Calvary Chapel in Puyallup. Um, He's been here multiple times, taught our youth. He loves the word. He's passionate about um, foster ministry or adoption ministry and orphan care. And so we're gonna show a little video and then when Jason comes up, would you welcome him to Calvary Chapel South?
1: Good morning to you all. (coughs) You guys uh, set your clocks forward. So you'll be extra blessed this morning. And probably second service will be extra full this morning. (laughs) Isn't that a neat video? You know, I've seen that um, a number of times. Never grow tired, never grow weary of seeing it because it's just a testimony of uh, what God has done. Not testimony of, of what we have done or... as if we have something great to offer. It's simply the creator and sustainer of all things who decides to let us be a part of what he wants to do. And I love that because that means that any of us are qualified. That means every single person in here this morning is qualified to be used by God. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, it's such a blessing to be here with you guys Uh, as pastor John said originally from the Northwest uh, we moved up here uh, from Colorado so fortunately we're Denver Bronco fans not Seattle Seahawks fans Uh, we won't talk about the Super Bowl that's what everybody always wants to bring up and uh, so the Lord ended up in the last years before moving down to Mexico he uh, moved me from Seattle down to Puyallup, where I went on staff at my dad's church, and did the youth and worship and college ministry for nine years. Met my lovely wife, uh, Jackie, down there. I have a picture of my family. We've been married for uh, 12 years, and uh, that is our little girl, um, Ayantu Faith, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her uh, a little bit later. And things were just going great, things were going wonderful, the church was growing, ministry was happening, we purchased a house, just everything was great. And yet, in a way that only God does, as I'm sure a lot of you can maybe relate to, He starts stirring or He starts moving or He starts shaking things up a little bit. How many of you have had that in your life? And I will say, listen, it's not indigestion, okay? It's not bad food or something. It's the Holy Spirit doing a work inside of you. And for some, that can be scary. For some, that can be unnerving. For some, it can be very exciting. And for us, we weren't... um, we weren't discontent, we weren't bummed, we weren't looking for the next thing. We were just doing our thing, and then the Lord, in a way that he only does, began stirring on our heart, not necessarily telling us what it was, but sort of this idea of just get ready, get prepared, something's coming. And uh, so we were praying, and we thought, you know, I wonder if it's maybe taking over the church that we had planted in Tacoma, maybe it was going out and starting a church, maybe it was the mission field, Lord... What was it? Well, I would never have guessed that it would have been packing up, selling everything, moving five hours south of El Paso, Texas, in the state of Chihuahua, which is the biggest state in Mexico, to a little town called Baxinova, 6,500 feet above sea level, sort of surrounded by the Sierra Madres, to start an orphanage. That was not in my plan. (laughs) (laughs) That was not in my wife's plan. But it was in God's plan. And when we are his, when we have surrendered our life to him, then uh, it's no longer about our plans, but about his plans. And so as, as the Lord spoke that to me, I thought, how in the world am I going to share this with my wife? Brothers, have you ever had thoughts or something And it's like, how am I going to share this with my wife? Can I get an amen to that? It's like, should I bring home some flowers first, tell her how lovely she looks, and then drop whatever you're about to drop? We were actually in Mexico visiting family. My family is from there, from this little town, so I've been going there since 1996. We were down there hanging out, planning our, our year missions trips, and that's when the Lord just clearly as clear as day, spoke to me. And I thought, how in the world am I going to tell my precious, lovely wife, who is so opposite of me, that not only are we moving, but we're moving to another country, and we're moving to another country to start an orphanage. So, uh, yeah, oh boy, amen to that. So I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to say it. (laughs) I'm not going to just try, I'm just going to say it. So we went for a walk, and I said, hey, babe, you know how we, we've been praying, we've been seeking, we've been wondering. I think the Lord has spoken to me. I know the Lord has spoken to me. And she said, what is it? He wants us to move down here and start an orphanage. And there was a pause, and I didn't know if she was going to hit me, yell at me, <laughs> what was going to happen. And you know what happened? She said, I feel like God is telling me the same thing. Now, listen, when that happens, you can't, there's nothing stopping you now. I was half thinking that she would say, you are crazy. What is wrong with you? We can't do this. But it was another confirmation that this is what was to take place. And so through lots of prayer and sharing it with our leadership and our eldership in the church, everybody was excited. And so five years ago, we moved down in January. January. Taking this giant step of faith, not knowing if you could even do this. I I mean, we did so much research to try to find out, can you go and start orphanages? And there's not a lot of people that have done that recently. And everyone that we have gotten in contact with, there's always some like crazy story of how it came. And so there was nothing really super helpful for us. But yet God was saying go. God was saying go. And... Right before we left and when we shared it that Sunday at the church, the Lord gave us a verse in Habakkuk 1.5. I love this verse. It says, look among the nations and watch and be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. It says to be utterly astounded astounded. I look back over the last five years and I am utterly astounded. Every time I watch that video, I am utterly astounded. I think of how when we first went down, the Lord led us to 40 acres of land. I have a picture here. It was an apple orchard. Um, Apples are huge down in our region. Uh, It's a great source of income, provides a lot of work, when it's in season, lots of jobs, a lot of work. And so this was a massive, dying uh, apple orchard. So we purchased 40 acres for $18,000, which now sits home to this. Our ever-growing campus, which, which has our main facility in the middle, 7,500-square-foot uh, facility, director's house, staff housing, uh, dorm rooms, and we just recently finished a computer resource lab uh, for the kids to further get them uh, educated, tutored. Utterly astounding things. I think of the thirty five missions teams we can hold off on that picture the thirty five missions teams that have come down uh, over the last five years this past February. Um, one of my good friends, Daniel from Florida, he came down and that marked the 35th missions team. People who are taking time off work, uh, paying money to come down and work and serve. I think of the 40 children that we've been able to care for in the last four years. 15 of those who are currently with us right now. Uh, there you go. It was a miracle that they all smiled and they stayed still in that picture. I normally have to bribe them with candy and treats and whatnot, but as the Lord has been working and moving, the kids understand that part of my job is traveling and sharing. And I and I share with them, hey, uh, you know, I get to show pictures of you and share your stories with people. And some of them they're excited about that. Others they 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 haven't quite grasped that. I love that we sang some Spanish worship this morning. I was back there. I confess, I was totally videoing it because it was so beautiful because I want to go back. I texted to my wife because I want our kids to know that the body of Christ is huge. Amen? It's so much bigger than Kent and Bashiniva and Puyallup. I mean, we're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things. And so currently in the home, we have 15 kids, 10 girls, and five boys. Our youngest girl is four. Our oldest boy is 17. These kids come from a variety of backgrounds, most of them from abusive, broken, messed-up families. All of the kids except for one um, do not have a father. Uh we have two kids that are true orphans. They, because we are licensed orphanage, they're brought to the, uh, by the state into our care. We have some kids where uh, they, have no, they have no mother or father, but they have a grandmother or an aunt or an uncle or something, and so they have been brought into our care. And then a lot of our kids, um, they have single young moms who don't know how to be moms, don't necessarily want to be moms. They're trying to figure out how am I going to get a job that pays anywhere from three to eight dollars a day and how am I going to raise my kids? And so God, in the only way that He can, He continues to bring us these kids from all backgrounds, from all different walks of life. And um, I love those kids. Look at those faces. And part of me thinks, you know, when when you're just exhausted and you're wiped and you just feel like, I have no strength to do that. I look at these kids and I look at, um, I think of what their lives would be like had God not brought them to our home. I can't imagine that. Our oldest young boy, he's wearing the blue hooded sweatshirt. uh, And the young man next to him, Juan, they're at the ripe age where the drug cartels would come and basically convince them that working for them and picking the, the marijuana is the way to go. And they bribe him with money, new baseball gloves, soccer balls. Uh, the two girls to his right uh, are two oldest girls. Uh, most girls their age are already having their first child. And they're usually with a guy who's over 30 years old. And yet God, in only a way that he can, he decides to bring these broken kids to our care. And we have the the blessed privilege of loving and ministering to them. We have a wonderful team, a wonderful staff. We've actually been able to provide 20 jobs uh, for people since we've started. We hired uh, some believers and unbelievers as a ministry, as an outreach, as we were building the orphanage and then over the years different workers and cooks and dorm stewards and cleaners and all kinds of stuff because it takes a lot to care for children 24 hours a day seven days a week your parents you know how it goes one of the ways that we've been able to provide jobs um, is hiring local women to make uh, bracelets and bags if you Notice when you were walking in here on their table, you saw some bags and bracelets and baskets and whatnot. Uh, These are two ladies. They they would not let me take their picture at first, and I just said, "Listen, I uh, I'm gonna show your picture to some people in the United States." And I explained it, and so uh, they're kind of. I don't think they understand. They probably thought I was weird or something. Uh, But this is Teresa, the lady on the right. And we've been caring for her daughter and her son. He went back to, to live with her. We've been caring for them for uh, over three years now. And Teresa, we met her at a hospital. Her Her father was dying, and she was outside the hospital. We were actually doing an outreach there, passing out food, sandwiches, medical supplies, doing music. And she heard that we had an orphanage, and so long story short, uh she brought her kids, her kids to us. We've been taking care of them. And one of the reasons is there is to financially. It's hard to imagine living off of $3 a day. <laughs> and so I found out that she made um, bracelets. This is why I wear a number of these bracelets. And, and one day she came to church. She came to visit her kids. She had these bracelets. And she said, hey, would you like to buy some? I said, Absolutely. And I got to thinking, hey, I wonder if I bought a lot of these, and I took them on one of my trips, if maybe people in the States would be interested. And so I did that. It was like gold. I sold out of all of them. I went back, and I said, Teresa, it went well. I need more. And so now we have, God has opened up a door as we're trying to minister the gospel, not only to the kids, but to their parents, hopefully rebuilding Uh, families, restoration, now we're able to hire um, these women to make the things that you will see out there. And so those are available uh, for some suggested donations. This is a picture, uh, if we could go to the next one, Uh, these are Tarahumana, this is where they live. Uh, No running water, no bathrooms, no plumbing, and they oftentimes, if you work in an apple orchard or if you you can find a place to get a job or your your husband or the man that you're with, then they have these little housing units near the workplace. And uh, it's all, there's just one room. There's anywhere from four to eight people that are in the room. And um, I just thought, you know what, God? If somehow you want to use some bracelets and some baskets and some homemade goods, to, to help uh, fund these ladies and to provide some work, uh, then praise the Lord for that opportunity. And so that is available out there on the table as well as a bunch of other information. Uh, I think of an in, the internship program that sort of just magically came about. I was not anticipating having an internship program. There were just young people who were saying over the years, hey, can we come down and can we serve? Hey, I have a a break, and can I come down for the summer? And so we were having two or three of these individuals come down, and then one time I was at a church, and someone said to me, hey, can you tell me a little bit about your internship program? And I was like, I didn't know we had an internship program. Can you tell me about it? Well, what was happening is these young individuals were going back and they were talking and they were sharing with people. And so over the course of the last kind of three and a half years, we've had uh, 10 individuals, young people who've come down and served anywhere from three weeks to six months. Two of those who've become full-time missionaries. One of those, she was our babysitter. She was in our youth group. I've known her since she was a wee little gal. And now she's a missionary with us, serving full time. I think of a gal who's, who's down with us right now. She's just finishing. She has three more weeks left um, after uh, March. Then she will have completed nine months of serving with us. She's the one that made the video. She's the one that does a lot of our graphics and our flyers out there. And I want to highlight these books We just printed off another 150 of these, and I pray and ask that each one of you would take one. These are the most, I think, the most important thing. It's our prayer booklets. And so as you flip through, there are pictures of all the kids, and then on the back, you'll find their story, and then ways that you can be praying for them. And so please, as you're leaving, grab some of those things. um, Utterly astounding things utterly astounding things that I literally, I cannot take credit for. And it's been interesting because by nature of just what we're doing, I mean, even just hearing Pastor John say, you know, Jason, he's the founder, they started this orphanage. When you share that with people, especially with unbelievers, they think you're something extra special. Because unbelievers... What unbeliever would think that orphan care or human, uh, humanitarian aid or work is a bad idea? I have not met one person. When I've shared, hey, what do you do? Well, I direct an orphanage. Oh, that's pretty lame. It's quite the opposite. In fact, I find people, it's been a little uncomfortable because they're sort of elevating you to a place. You are so amazing. I remember one time standing outside of an airport waiting for the shuttle to go to my hotel. Two flight attendants were next to me. Started chit-chatting. You from here? No. Uh, where are you from? I actually live in Mexico. Why do you live in Mexico? We start an orphanage. And the things that these gals were saying, wow, you, you're my hero. You know, what a saint. We need more people like you. And listen, if we're not careful, then we can somehow in our minds start thinking, wow, I am kind of special. Wow, maybe, maybe it's by my talents and my abilities. And all of a sudden, we start slipping into a place that God never intended us to be. Because when he does a work, it's for his glory and for his honor. not for man's. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. If you, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to see a wonderful example here from Paul, one who understood, hey, listen, I am nothing. One who had all the credentials and all the the schooling and the smarts to be something, but when he came to Christ, all that went away when he understood that he was nothing apart from Christ. Christ. So let's look here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And Paul writes this He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, recently, um, the world lost an incredible man, Billy Graham passed away. It's been fascinating watching all of the the publicity of it and the talk shows and people who just are speaking nothing but highly of Billy Graham, who is known as America's pastor, one who has preached the good news of God's love to nearly 250 million people. Had hundreds of crusades, missions, evangelistic rallies in North America and around the world. No doubt this man was used mightily by God. And as I've been watching these news stories and listening to how people, uh, presidents, political, famous people, how they sort of viewed Billy Graham... It's as if people think that there was something extra special about him. And I think sometimes when we see other people who are being used in a powerful way or or people who go and start orphanages or they're uh, starting churches or they're serving constantly or they're on worship team. Sometimes, just in our human nature, it's easy to think, wow, there must be something. That person's really got it. They're really on fire. Oh, they're really filled with the Holy Spirit or this or that. But listen, I'm here to tell you that there's nothing extra special with them. (laughs) Okay? And here's why Paul says here, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But what? But Christ lives in me. This verse came in a beautiful timing in my life. Just personally where I'm at, just just always asking the Lord, you know, for clarity, for vision, for direction. Lord, are there things I'm missing? Are there things that, that I need to change? And the Lord brought me This verse, and specifically the first part, I've been crucified with Christ, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I started thinking about it in this way. You know, Paul doesn't write, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but the knowledge that lives in me. Or the seminary that I did. Or the education that I have. Or the, the holiness that I have. Or that I'm sanctified or that I'm set apart or that I'm, uh, I'm extra gifted. or He doesn't say any of those. He simply says it's because of Christ. And I've been looking at my own life, and as I'm having conversations, and as I'm traveling more and meeting people more and sharing more, I have to ask myself, Jason, am I still living in a place where it is no longer I who live but Christ in me? I believe wholeheartedly this is what set Billy Graham apart. Because he lived a life, a Christ-filled life. Unscathed, a lot of the reports are saying how amazing it is that he was unscathed by scandals and all of these things. It wasn't because of an extra dose of goodness that he got. It was simply because he recognized, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ in me. And brothers and sisters, when we come to a point in our faith and in our walks where that, we are truly living that, God will do amazing things in your life. But it is when we start to get in the way when problems come about. Can I get an amen for that? How many of you have gotten in the way or you have tried to help God? You're all laughing because you know it's true. It's our human nature. It's a strange thing to give your life to Christ and then realize every day you have to continue to give those things over to him. And then somehow in our minds, because we think we're smart enough or we're educated enough or we just... We're skilled enough that we can start sort of taking areas back. This past year has been the hardest year since we've been down there. And there have been times when it's kind of like, Lord, what is going on? What is going on? And one of the things that God has been speaking to me is he's been saying, Jason, you've been getting in the way in some of these areas. Look at what Paul goes on to say. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of god when we went down there we had nothing but faith and trust in god because it didn't make sense i have never felt more related to noah than when i was down in mexico building a 7,400 square foot facility with no children in sight it's kind of like a guy building a giant boat for something that the world has not yet seen but we were, we were passionate, it was by faith, and we were motivated, and, it was, and we were trusting, and we were believing, and God was breaking down doors and answering prayers and moving things. Well, now that we're on year five, and we have a staff, and, and, and finances are good, and things are going well, that's when we can sort of start taking things back. Maybe it's complacency, maybe it's being comfortable, Maybe it's just feeling like, okay, yeah, this is really going. And if we're not careful, we can start adding in our thoughts and our ideas. And so this past year, I feel like the Lord has just said, Jason, you're, you're tired. I've been sick more than I have ever had this past year. I feel like the Lord is saying, you're, you're exhausted because you're, you've been trying to do some things on your own. And you've sort of lost that faith and that trust in letting me do what I want to do. And I know that if I've gone through that, I'm sure many of you have gone through that as well. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. It's difficult and it's hard um, letting everything go. And truly giving that over to Christ. And Paul, I mean, look at that guy's background before he got saved. That guy was a wretch. No wonder why he would say, I'm the chief of all sinners. (laughs) And here's a guy that understood that when he was crucified with Christ, his old life was gone. It was dealt with. He would later write to the Romans in, in Romans 6, 6-7, that our old man was crucified with him, Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. That's the blessing of coming to Christ. Think about it for a moment when you first came to Christ. Think of how incredible it was, emotional, how freeing it was. Think of the sins and the struggles and the vices that the Lord delivered you from. For some of you, it might have been instantly. For others, maybe it's an ongoing battle or strength, but he or struggle, but he's giving you the strength to overcome it. But think of the joy that was there. Think of literally when you would say, I would do anything for Christ. And the desire to want to tell everybody and family members and co-workers. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But what? But Christ who lives in me. But sometimes, over the years, because we live in a fallen world and we're sinful people, I think sometimes we start forgetting we start losing that passion and that vigor and that excitement. And then we start thinking, well, I've been struggling with the, with the devotions, or I feel like I'm not hearing for God. Then we start looking at others and we're like, well, how, how come that person is being used? How come that person's always happy every time I walk into this building? Or that person's always praying, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. And all of a sudden we start feeling, okay, maybe I'm unequipped, maybe I'm, I'm uh, unable, maybe uh, I'm unqualified. And we start going through all these emotions. I think the Lord will want to say, yes, you are unqualified. You are unequipped. You are unable. But I am. And that's why I'm in you. And that's why it's no longer you who live, but I who live in you. And listen, this problem has been going on since the beginning. Think of Moses. Do you know how many times Moses tried to get out of God's calling for his life? We read in Exodus chapter four, verse 10 through 12, then Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Moses just, you know, "I, I can't do it, I can't do it. Send somebody else, this and that. Now he's saying, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak, I can't do this. And look what the Lord says. Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord, Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. The Lord confirms Moses, it is not about you. It is about me, and I will go with you. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah 1, verse 1 through 2. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Lord, I can't do this. What has the Lord said? Say, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. One feeling I can't do it, the Lord saying, I know, I'm going with you. How about Acts chapter 4? This is one of my favorite. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. How many of you have felt uneducated and untrained before? Not just with spiritual things, but how about just when you're applying for a job or, or with a skill or something. Can you imagine, you know, Seattle is ever-growing, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, the world is, Seattle's taking over the world and all this technology stuff, basically. Can you imagine if someone was applying for a, a president or a high-tech job and they were uneducated and they were unqualified. Can you imagine what that interview would look like if you went into the room, you're sitting down with the board or the presidents or whatnot, and they say, can you share with us why you're here? And after that meeting, they conclude, this is the most uneducated and untrained person we have ever interviewed. Can you imagine them marveling and saying, you are the perfect fit? this is what we've been looking for. Absolutely not. But with Christ, it's completely opposite. Let's look at that again. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. How do you marvel at uneducated, untrained people? Other than marveling, how are you like this? That is not the type of marvel. Why was it? Because they realized That they had been with Jesus. Let's say that last part together. They realized they had been with Jesus. God was with Moses. God was with Jeremiah. These men had been with Jesus. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And that is such good news for us this morning. Because that same God is here with us. And he's here with us to say, I know you don't have the words. I know you don't have the skills. I know you don't have the education. I know you don't have the background. But you have me in you. And it's no longer you who live, but I who lives in you. I didn't go to college, I didn't go to seminary. Uh, I'm not super smart. I've had all kinds of odd jobs. I'm a hard worker. I've never had management skills. I've never taken uh, uh, classes of any of these things. And so I, believe me, I understand what it means to feel uneducated and untrained. And that is why I am utterly astounded when I think of what God has done. And it causes me to want to let go more to decrease so that he can increase in my life. I wanna go back to that first year when we first moved down, when we had the faith and the trust to do everything. I don't wanna start taking stuff back into my own hands. You understand what I'm saying? This is so key for us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of god. Why? Paul, why? Why should we do this? Why should this be more than just to get out of jail free card? Why should I live by faith? Why should I trust? Why should I do that? What causes people to do these crazy things? What causes somebody to sell everything and move his family down to Mexico and then in the first year when you feel like you've made the biggest mistake of your life? moving your family down to Mexico, you're ready to quit, why would you still stay down there? What motivates it? What is it? Paul clearly lays it out in the last part of our verse. It's because God, or Paul understood that there was a God who loved him and gave himself for him. You know that God loves you so much that he sent Christ to the cross, his son, his beloved. He sent he who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If we as believers, if, we, if that is not enough for us, I literally don't know what is. The fact that God would love messed up people like us so much to give his most precious, prized son to die the most crucial, humiliating death. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Uh, Our daughter, Ayantu, I have a picture of her when she was first born. I'd like to say that she's the one that sort of started this whole thing. (laughs) Because at a time when my wife and I were wanting to have start a family, wanting to do things the way that everybody else does them, for whatever reason, God was saying no. He was closing my wife's womb and so we were trusting and we were praying. We were believing, hey, and, you know, we know God can do this. We know God can do this. We're reading the scriptures. Uh, we visited, uh, uh, talked with other people, you know, well, we did this. We struggled with this. And then, you know, God blessed us and we're just thinking, okay, okay. And then when it wasn't happening, we went and saw doctors and specialists and got tests. And everybody was saying, we're not sure why you're not having kids because everything is normal. So when you come away from those meetings, that's not super encouraging because you don't have anything to blame something on. You know what I'm saying? I guess it would have been a little more comforting us for us if we would have left saying, dang, we can't have kids because of this. But when people would say, well, what's the deal? How come? And you go, I don't know. All we could say was God, for whatever reason, is closing that door. And so as we were praying and saying, okay, Lord, what does that mean? It was because God, I truly believe this more than ever before, God was closing that door because on the other side of the world, in a small little village in the middle of Ethiopia, this little girl would be born and abandoned naked in a road. And after a day or two, some women found her on their way to work they brought her to the police station, which is normally the case. This happens quite often over there in, in Ethiopia. And these police officers, uh, they're the ones that will then take them to an orphanage if there's uh, room available for them. And a lot of times, these officers give names to these kids. And uh, when we were in the adoption process, uh, we we were encouraged to not let... Uh, once you've adopted your child, not to just, uh, okay, let's make them American citizen. and now let's forget about their background, let's forget about their roots. Let's just they were really encourage you. don't do that. Let that be a part of their life. And part of that, a lot of people would just right away, they would change the names of their kids. And so when we found out it was Aon to, it was like, okay, it's a little hard to pronounce. You know, I'm not really sure. We had some ideas and some typical, American names picked out until we found out what her name means. This little girl was named Ayantu, and that name means blessed for the future. So when I heard that, I was like, we ain't changing that. Ayantu Faith Sanchez. So she's got some Hispanic, American, and Ethiopian all in her name. We brought her home when she was 11 months old. And she, we lived in the States until she was two and a half, and then we moved down to Mexico. So by the time, before this little gal was three, she's lived in three different countries. And now, the, this, last, this past Thursday, we celebrated her eighth birthday. Here's a picture of her now. And I look at this girl, and I love her more than I. As a parent, you ever have times you just felt like you could burst because you just love your kids? I'm not talking about the bursting because you can't stand your kids. I know we all have that as well. But I'm talking about that love when you would do anything for them. How many of you, you would do anything for your kids? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of our relationship with the Lord. This little gal, when we went over to Ethiopia, she was so sick. She got the measles. She got pneumonia. It—it was. We were thinking she was gonna die. And we were about to travel back. It's like a twenty-four hour trip with all the flights and layovers and everything. And she is so sick. And we were in our little, um, our little hotel room, just praying. And you know, we're new parents, and you're in another country, and you got a little one that is sick, and she's crying. You don't speak the language. And we were crying out to God, and I would have done anything to take that fever, to take that pain. Literally, God, give that to me. How many of you, you have prayed that? Why? Because you love your kids. And uh, they had a little going away ceremony for, for her, and uh, she just wasn't getting better. And, and there was a pastor, he, he was our lawyer, our representative, and also pastor, and I just said, man... Would you please pray for her? And that brother just went into, I don't know what he was saying, but I was like, hallelujah, amen. This sounds really good. Keep this going. (laughs) And he was going. And then he just, he ended the prayer. She stopped crying and her fever stopped just in time to get on the plane and travel home. Our adoption cost over $25,000. I look at that face, I would have paid $250,000. I would have paid whatever. Because when you love your kids, you want to do everything. And think about it in this way. If you love your kids that much, and you would do anything for them, how much more does our Father love us? Amen to that. How much more does Jesus love us? Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Why? Because he loves me. And he gave himself for me. Saints, this is why as Christians, sometimes we do crazy stuff. That's why people move to Panama to be missionaries. It's why people bring clothes and stuff to donate it's why we do ridiculous things because God did the most incredible thing for us and that is why it is not about us we are merely vessels we are merely ambassadors we are testimonies of the good news and each of you, this message is not to exhort you to go out and, and do adoption and orphan care and foster care and missions. Now, if God stirs you to, hallelujah. And I would say this, it will give you an a, um, incredible picture of God's heart for us as orphan kids adopting us into his family. But for some of you, it might mean serving here at the church. Reaching out to your coworkers. Talking to your neighbor who you try to avoid all the time. Praying for the person that hands you your Starbucks coffee. Whatever it might be. It's just time for us to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And when you start wanting that and doing that, you better fasten your seatbelt because that's when God will do some crazy stuff. Because the Bible says his eyes are looking to and fro on the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him, looking for those who are saying, God, I am nothing, but you are in me, so here I am. So this morning as we close I want to exhort those of you who are here this morning you have put your faith and trust in Christ. You have been crucified with Christ but maybe this past year or this past week or this past few years you've been trying to take areas back. I would encourage you in this closing song to repent and say Lord forgive me for that and let him resume complete reign in your life. And for those of you that are here this morning, and maybe you've never given your life to Christ, I can't imagine a better Sunday. (laughs) Because there's a God that loves us. And there's a God that gave us his son. And so as we worship, there's going to be some people at these tables on the side. And I would implore you and encourage you to take this opportunity to go for prayer. To get right with the Lord. I love the psalmist when it says, search my heart, oh God. Try me and know me. And see if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Let's not just let this be another Sunday where we sing a song, we close up and we go. Let's say, Lord, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to speak to me in this moment? Let's pray. Father, we just praise you and thank you. For your love for us We thank you For giving us your son We thank you That you desire To reign supreme in our lives Where we don't have to make our own choices Where we can turn to the king of kings And the lord of lords And the creator and sustainer of all things For wisdom, for advice For direction, for power For strength For everything that we need And I would pray Lord In these final moments As we worship you As we're still before you As we proclaim who you are Oh God Would you do a work In our hearts May we leave this place Utterly astounded Of how good you are.